Life Church, I believe there's a thread of what God is speaking tonight about freedom and about taking a next step. How many here are ready to take a next step with God tonight? I believe every time we come into his presence, every time we're with him, every time we open ourselves up, we have an opportunity to be changed. And I'm praying that for each one of us tonight. So thank you for that worship wrap-up. That was great. Well, I am honored and humbled whenever I have the opportunity to come and share God's word and to just minister out of his word. So thank you for letting me do that tonight. Um, I want to tell you about where I grew up. I was born and raised in northern New York State where it is covered with snow from October. Yes, awful. October to April. And I grew up in the farthest part of New York State. Actually, living where I lived in New York State, I lived 10 hours from New York City. We're only seven hours from New York City here. So some people don't realize how wide New York State is. I grew up in St. Lawrence County, right along the St. Lawrence River, the next town over, pre-9-11, go back and forth all the time to Canada, was Cornwall, Ontario. And so I grew up in a place where dairy farming was super prevalent. And there were more cows where I grew up than there were people. Sad. That's sad, you guys. Okay. Um, and so where I grew up in St. Lawrence County, a lot of my friends actually were dairy farmers and would come to school smelling like that. So I knew I never wanted to marry a farmer. Um, so anyways, I had a really good friend. His name was Steve in high school. And uh, we started dating this about halfway through high school. And one day when I was 16, he invited me to ride on, on his motocross bike. He's like, I'd love for you to come and, you know, go motocross. He was into motocross. He raced and all of that and invited me to come. So I knew this was a big step in our relationship because he loved motocross more than anything, right? So his parents were not dairy farmers, but they owned a ton of land, and they rented that land to farmers for different purposes. And so I'm over there one day on a beautiful July, hot, sunny day, and I'm going motocross racing, not racing, biking. He was just showing me the ropes, right? And his parents owned all this land, so there were these great windy paths. They were really wide, though, because they were made for pickup trucks to bring supplies into the land, whatever. And so I'm riding on the back of him. How many have a fantasy self of themselves? Yes? Okay. So in my fantasy life, fantasy self, Vanessa, I have long flowing hair and I like riding bikes, right? I'm like, Fred, go, baby, go. But um, that day, when I was 16, I still thought that was cool. So I, I did think it was cool. And about, uh, after about an hour of riding, he stopped, and he's like, Vanessa, do you want to drive? And I was like, sure. That was before I became, like, controlling 45-year-old Vanessa, who doesn't like speed and doesn't like wearing a helmet. Poor Fred. But he tried. Anyways, so I got on the, you know, in the driver's seat of this bike. And so we start out, and I'm going slow, and I'm driving, and, you know, I'm whatever, and I'm getting more and more comfortable, and I'm thinking it's really cool, and you know, whatever. And so I start to go a little faster, and I start to go a little faster, and I start to go a little faster, right? You know where this is headed. And intuitively, I'd never driven anything that had the gas in the handlebar. And so when I started to get faster and faster and faster, all of a sudden I found myself, right? And so then I'm shooting down this path, and you'll never forget, I'll never forget this, because we're, we're just going along, and all of a sudden, faster, faster, and then I'm just like, I can't stop it, I forget where the gas is, where the brake is, and we come out of this path into a massive clearing. It was probably about three times the size of this room, and I kid you not, it was four feet high with manure, the entire thing, and so before I knew it, not exaggerating, we raced in to this manure pile, and it held his bike up. We didn't fall over. We just came to a stop. 
And it was literally like, I want to say it was like up to here. Probably wasn't up to my waist, but it was definitely, I mean, I, it was my full legs were in it. And I just remember looking down. The bike is standing on its own. We are covered with crap. Like, I couldn't see out of the helmet. I was looking for something to wipe. There was nothing. It was covered with manure. And I just remember thinking, what just happened, right? I think this is the beginning of the end of this relationship. And how did I get here? How did I get here? And I just was reminded of that story when I think about so many things that happen in life. where you're going along, you feel a little comfortable, right? Maybe everything's not perfect, but you feel steady, you feel a sense of comfort, you feel a sense of ease, and then all of a sudden, before you know it, out of nowhere, you look down and you go like, how did I get here? What just happened? Wow, everything really stinks all of a sudden, right? Where did all of this come from? So many times in life, situations and circumstances cause us to have that experience. And I want to share tonight about despair. I want to share tonight about some of the anchors that we find in God's word that keep us from getting sucked into the vortex of despair. I picture despair like this tornado here. We all understand what a tornado is, right? It's tightly wound winds at high speeds, and it touches down, and it brings destruction and death, and it upturns you know, vehicles and you know, wrecks uh, buildings and that sort of thing. But what I want to note on here, too, is that most tornadoes, they also have a wide circumference of winds that swirl around them. So the only danger isn't just the vortex, right? The, there's danger being anywhere close to it, because in those winds, there is debris, right? And there are things that can batter us. Things can happen in life, whether they happen, they might not necessarily happen right to us, but they happen in the world we live in. They happen to people we love. They happen to family members and friends. Happens in our communities and in our country. And those winds can can carry debris that batter us. And they also have a suck. Those winds have a suck to them. And if you stay in those winds long enough, you begin to get sucked closer and closer into that vortex of despair. And I I wanna clarify in talking about despair, I'm not talking about people who struggle with clinical depression or anxiety, because we are a church that understands the difference between that, okay? There are people who have that, who need medication, who need therapy, who need counseling, and we believe in that. We are big proponents of that. We wanna use all of the tools in the tool belt that God has given us. What I am talking about, though, is something that probably none of us can escape, and that is despair that can range from deep feelings of deep disappointment, can move to disillusionment, and then I would say the far end of the range is those feelings of grappling with hopelessness. Not hopelessness with life, but hopelessness about a circumstance, hopelessness about a person, about a situation. That can happen to any of us. And I want to share with you tonight, out of my own journey with despair over this last year, I feel like God has graced me in the calling of God in my life, and I've walked with Jesus for a long time, to, to shoulder the weight of what God's called Fred and I to do as pastors, who, where he's placed us in this world. But I found in 2019 
that there were some things happening, some circumstances and situations, and those winds were buffeting me more than they should, you know? There were things were hitting me, and there was just a heaviness that I couldn't step out of. I was finding myself um, feeling fragile emotionally, feeling, understanding, is sh I shouldn't feel this heavy, but I'm not sure how to get out from under it. Have you ever had something like that? I want to shake it, and it's showing up, and it was affecting everything. It was affecting how I was responding to my family. It was affecting my perspective, my energy, my resolve, my determination. It was just seeping in to everything. And so I found myself in a place of, you know, real desperation because I consider myself a child of God, like we just sang about. I consider myself a Jesus girl. I know who God is. I take him at his word. I believe his promises. And I knew this wasn't the best he had for me, but yet it was so real and it was so strong. And I couldn't pray my way out of it. I couldn't, you know, I didn't try to fast my way out of it, let's just be honest, because I don't like fasting. <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't do all the things. I couldn't figure out how to get past it. And it was bringing brokenness into my life. So I want to share out of that journey with you how God has been so good to me, so gracious and so faithful to show up and just give me what I believe are real anchors against those winds that we can hold on to when they come. Because I believe that as Christians, it will come. We're not supposed to live in a bubble. Jesus doesn't say it's not going to happen to you, but what he does say is he'll be with us in it. He'll help us navigate through it. And I want to unpack some of that with you tonight. So if you're in a season of despair, God has some encouragement for you. Real, tangible steps of encouragement for you tonight. And if you're not in a season of despair, darn you, but okay, you might get there someday. I would say this message for you is one not of encouragement, one of equipping. So don't tune out because none of us, none of us get to escape a life without despair touching us in some way. And it certainly is touching the people around us that God wants us to have a voice with and to minister to. And so you take these tools and you put them in your tool belt and become equipped tonight. So I found myself just a few weeks ago, early January, in this place, having gone through the holidays, continuing to wrestle with despair. And I was just, it was, I want to say it was like January 2nd, and I was just opening up my Bible, and I was getting ready to engage in a new devotion for 2020. And I do want to give a plug for Established Footsteps, me and my Bible study. If you are looking for a great Bible study resource, the organization that Sharon Thomas runs, I know they're um, on a cruise right now. We won't talk bad about them tonight, but their Bible study resources are amazing. And um, if you want a Bible study resource that doesn't tell you what God's word says, but gives you tools for you to roll up your sleeves and begin to engage God's word, it's free, it's amazing, it comes to your inbox. It was great. So I opened the email. January 2nd, Psalms 27 is the selection for the whole month. And every week we're going to do different things with this selection. And I was excited. I was like, Psalm 27. Psalm 27, 13 is one of my favorite verses. It's in my office hanging on the wall. I probably could sing it to you. I could quote it to you. I, I, I would talk about it. If I had to pick my top five life verses, it would be it. So I was like, awesome, Psalm 27. And so I started to read it. And God is, I love how God can take something that you're familiar with that you quote, that you have hanging in your office, right? That you have hanging at your house. And he can talk to you and show you things in it that you've never, ever seen before. And that's exactly what God did that day. Psalms 27, 13 and 14, it says, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. And then I had never really paid attention to the continuing thought, the last verse, verse 14. It says, 
Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. There's some strong action words there. I had believed that I would see and wait and let your heart take courage and again, wait. And I felt God say so clearly to me that day, Vanessa, what are you believing? What are you seeing? And how are you waiting? And I felt God give me a big girl spanking because see, he doesn't whisper quietly to Vanessa. I wouldn't hear it. He doesn't gently in a still small voice. That's not how God does it with me. It's more the storm, you know, that kind of thing. Like, Vanessa, hey, what are you believing? What are you seeing? And how are you waiting? And so I want to unpack those questions for you tonight. What are you believing? It was a short time after I was wrestling with that question and I was here in a service. I was sitting where I always sit. I was worshiping the Lord and we started to sing that song. I'm expecting the glory of the Lord. I'm expecting a move of God. I'm not on the worship team, you can tell. I'm expecting the glory of the Lord. I'm expecting a move of God. And God said, are you? About these things? Are you? Do you believe that I'm going to show up in these situations and win? Do you believe that I'm going to move? Do you believe and I'll tell you what, I was a hot mess. I went to the back, I was a wreck because I realized I wasn't proud of my answer. But God's not afraid of our honesty, right? He's not afraid of where we find ourselves. And I was like, I do not believe. I have lost hope for believing that you are going to show up in this situation. And then God did lovingly and gently Say, Vanessa, you're making this way too complicated. Are you going to believe me or are you not? Will you believe me or won't you? It's not complicated. How many know we know how to make things so murky and so complicated, right? And there's five different contexts you have to know and three different angles. And God said, no, no. How would your thoughts change, Vanessa, if you believed me? How would your words change? How would your peace change? How would your joy change? How would everything about how you're navigating the situation change if you believed me, like legit believed that I was going to show up? And then I was just reminded about, just don't make it complicated. Who's someone you believe? I was like, I believe Fred. I believe him. We talk all the time. I believe him. He keeps his word. And so I just had this idea of like, God just was in this conversation with God. He said, and he just reminded me of all the times that Fred and I, we have a busy life like you, right? We have three teenagers, we have one at college, jobs, sports, high school, you know, job, all the stuff, all the stuff we have, all the stuff you have. So common, common scenario would be me early in the morning or maybe the night before, before we head off to bed, being like, hey, looking at the schedule for the next day. Um, you know, what do you have going on tomorrow, honey? Okay, great. You have that meeting. Great. Claire has a babysitting job. I'm going to get her there because you're in a meeting. Let me plan to get her there. Would you be able to pick her up? Sure. Got it. No problem. What time? Oh, 8.15. I'll be there. And we, then we go on with our business of our life. And you know what? Never once do I think about it again. Never once do I worry that he's going to forget. Why? Because he's never forgotten our child before. Why? Because Fred keeps his word. Why? Because he understands what's at stake. 
Are you tracking with me? Why? Because he wants her safe and he wants her taken care of. Because he loves her as much as I do. Why? Because he's fully invested in the responsibility of the situation. Why do I believe him? Because I believe he's going to do what he said. It's just simple. And God said to me, Vanessa, I keep my word. I never forget. Right? I understand what's at stake. You think you understand? You should see it from my perspective. I understand what's at stake here. You don't have to keep reminding me about the circles of impact if I don't show up. I want these people that you love, that I died for, I want them safe and taken care of too. I love them as much as you do, and guess what, Vanessa? I am as invested in the responsibility of this situation as you are. I do what I say. Will you believe me? Amen? Will you believe me? And God began to minister to my heart. He began to show me, honestly, some arrogance there, some pride. Who do you think you are? That you're more invested, right? He, he loved on me, though, and he said, Vanessa, if you would just simply believe, don't make it complicated. Don't look at what you, we're going to get to looking in a minute, what you see. Don't, just, just believe me. Do you believe me? Yes. I believe you. I believe you, God. I had to repent. I had to continue to walk in a place of repenting, positioning my life in a place of belief in the middle of the storm. And what I've learned is that when I believe, it instructs everything about my day. It changes how I behave. It changes how I think. It instructs my joy. It instructs my peace. I don't have to obsess over things. I don't have to revisit them. I don't have to remind God, right? I get to believe him and go on with my day and give my focus to other things. Just like I believe when Fred says he'll pick Claire up. Guess what? I need to believe God that he's going to pick up this situation. And I get to go on with my life. I have to do my part, but I can believe him. Belief is so critical. I've just been so reminded of that in this, my own journey. Belief is mentioned, the word believe is mentioned over 150 times in the New Testament. Jesus says believe all the time. He performs signs and miracles, and he says, do you believe? He says, will you believe? He says, who do you believe that I am, right? Belief, belief, belief. Mark 6, 16 and 17. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. Listen to this. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. It's crazy. They will, when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. And it goes on. What we learn when we study belief in the New Testament is that believing unleashes the supernatural power of God. When I believe, I have access to power. I have access to power that is not my own, but comes from the throne room of God. And we want to see these things, right? I want to see these things happening in these circumstances and situations. I have to believe. So God asked me, what are you believing? And I want to ask some of you here tonight, what are you believing? Like, hashtag legit believing, right? Break it down. Think of something you believe and say, am I behaving the same way in response to my belief that God is big enough and able and can win and can have victory? What are you believing? The second anchor is what are you seeing? 
I would have despaired. Notice he didn't. I would have despaired had I not believed, unless I had believed, that I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. How many know that seeing is different than looking? Very different, right? Looking is when you just put your gaze in a direction, right? So I'm looking out here. But seeing is when I engage my brain with what I'm looking at, and I begin to recognize things, right? So I look out, and I see my friend Sue Sommerfeld, and I look out, and I recognize someone else over here, or someone's cute haircut, or someone who their outfit's not so great, and they probably need to get some, do some work, right? I see. I file images. I see. It's different. Sorry, I was really kidding. I haven't noticed anyone's outfit. I've been reminded how difficult seeing is or seeing differently than what we're used to. Um, learning a new way to see, learning how to see something different is very, very difficult because our brain is trained to see a certain way. Our brain takes in images all the time and flushes most of them away and just takes a small percentage of them and files them as images we recognize, right? And so I have been reminded in this class, I'm taking a drawing class at the Peninsula Fine Arts Center with my daughter, Claire, who is a gifted artist. I am a supportive mother, but cannot draw a stick figure. So, yes. So in our second week of this drawing class, we were taught about the value of negative space in a picture. How it can be just as important as the positive space when you're drawing an image. And we were given the task of drawing an image by only sketching the negative space around it. So it was a sculptural plan. It was very simple, okay? It's introduction to drawing. And instead of, intuitively, I would outline the plant leaves, right, and fill it in, what they wanted us to do was to fill in all the negative space, and by default, what you're left with is a silhouette. You're left with the positive image, so you had to draw the negative space, if that makes sense. Like, I felt like such an idiot. You realize? I was like this. And my brain, as I was trying to sketch in the negative space, my brain kept flipping to the positive because that's not how I normally view things. Like, I really had to focus on filling and not drawing the positive, but filling in this negative space. And it was such a, such a reminder for me of how our brains are trained to see things a certain way. And we live in a natural world where we've all heard the term seeing is believing, right? We, we see things and then we draw conclusions. We see things and then we make decisions based on what we see. And that's not bad in the natural, but it's not good in the spiritual because what God sees in a situation is completely different than what we see. We have to learn to see things the way God sees them. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, <laughs> neither are my ways your ways, right? This is God really nicely saying, I don't think like you, I don't do things like you, right? I do it different. Verse 9 says, As the heavens are higher than the earth, you try to measure that. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. That's God like really nicely telling us, you're really, really little and stupid, and I'm really, really awesome, and you can't even imagine how awesome I am, but I love you anyway, so I'm not going to say it in a way that makes you feel bad, right? That's what my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. <laughs> as high as the heavens are from the earth, right? Not measurable. That's how little you are. That's how different God is saying I am than how 
you are. I do it different. 2 Corinthians 4.18. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So when I am navigating despair, I have to learn to see what? The goodness of God. When? Now. In the land of the living. Not yesterday. Not in heaven. Now. I have to learn to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. And I'm not going to spend any time building a case for God's goodness, but I have them in my notes, and they'll be online with our podcast. But the Bible is full of God being good, right? He is good, he is good, he is good. His mercies never end, he is kind, he is just. His mercies never end, his goodness never ends, right? It's just on and on and on. God is good. So, to begin to see, to navigate despair, to, to begin to see what God sees, I have to become, I like to call it, a goodness of God detective, <laughs> right? I want the outfit, I want all the gear, and I put it on, and I begin to see things differently. I begin to spot God's goodness in all forms, wherever it shows up, in the midst of hard times, no matter how big or how small. And often, when these storms, these tornadoes of life are happening, we are looking for small little slivers. God, where are you? Where are you in this? Let me find your goodness. Lisa Turkworth wrote a book, great book, called It's Not Supposed to Be This Way. It talks about disappointment and despair. And she writes, some will live their whole lives missing the chance to see all of the good that God has placed around them just for them. Partly because the hard stuff has demanded so much of their attention and the seeming permanence of some of the heartbreak has stolen their affection for life. I was talking about this very thing with my dear friend, Lori Ruggiero, and Steve and Lori are out of town this weekend, but I got her permission to share this conversation because we were talking about this in, in reference to her journey with breast cancer. And I asked her how she anchored herself in seeing God's goodness when she had a whole year of treatment, right? An unknown diagnosis. She had no idea if it would work. The days were long. I don't know if you were here in part of city life then, but she couldn't come to church for months because her immune system was so compromised. And she shared with me this very thing, that it was looking for God's goodness every day that was the only thing that buoyed her spirit and helped anchor her soul when the storm was so big. She said, Vanessa, the storm was so black. The winds were so high. The, the prognosis so unknown that I had to begin to look for God's goodness. We got home for lunch, and she texted me a picture of her gratitude journal. And she shared, she shared over lunch, but then she showed me a picture of it after. Is, you know, one of them was, um, she, she loves snow. And so her, one of her entries was, it snowed today before chemo. She loves the snow. And she said, Vanessa, for four weeks in a row, it would flurry. Sometimes I felt like it was just my neighborhood or just my house. And I would be up early getting ready to go to chemo. And I just took everything in me to get out the door. And, and I would see the flurries. And it would just be for a few minutes, but it was like God said, I see you. I know. Girl, I got you. I'm with you. She said the next, one of the next entries was um, seeing the deer would come in her yard, you know. Here she is facing life and death, right? And she's watching the deer. She's looking for God's goodness. And she said, I would sit there and I would say, they're not stressed out. <laughs> they're peaceful. 
they're just moving their way through. They know that God's taking care of them. If he can take care of them, right, how much more can he take care of me? How much more can he take care of me? And she just had all these beautiful entries. And I said, Lori, you've learned to be exactly what God's starting to teach me. A goodness of God detective. There's so much to see. We have to learn to see God's goodness now in the land of the living. And so I want to ask you, like God asked me, what are you seeing? Have you made it a practice to be a detective of God's goodness in your life, in the midst of the storm of life, the tornadoes that come our way? And then the third question that I want us to ask tonight that God was speaking to me out of this verse was, how are you waiting? I had never paid attention to verse 14. It's not hanging in my office on the wall. I didn't have it memorized. And it's so important because it says, wait for the Lord. Semicolon. How? Be strong and let your heart take courage. And then it says it again for emphasis, because I think it's super, super, super duper important. Wait for the Lord. How I wait matters to God. Right? And I don't know about you, but left to myself, waiting sucks. Waiting, I would wait as a victim. I think most of us would. We would wait as a victim. We would wait with a sense of disappointment that could then grow into disillusionment, that could then become bitterness, that could then make me angry, and I could be mean. Like, I could totally see that path of mean Vanessa happening in my life if I wait the wrong way. I think another way that we can wait wrong is we can wait entitled. I know that's probably me too. All the bad ones. I'll check all the boxes. Like, all right, God, I'll wait. But you're late, you better come through, right? You better prove yourself, you better make yourself known. Your promises are yes and amen, Uh uh-huh, and I don't see them, right? And so you wait with a sense of entitlement rather than in a place of letting your heart take courage. So I've been in a conversation with God how to teach me how to wait. Teach me how to wait. The word let your heart take courage is an instruction to us that we have a choice. And that's the reality. We have to choose in a place of waiting to choose strength and to let ourselves get stronger, to let ourselves take courage. It's not a passive waiting. It's an incredibly active and engaged waiting journey. Let your heart take courage. I just, I was fascinated by the fact that courage wouldn't exist if you weren't in the midst of hardship. The very definition of courage is the ability to do something that frightens one or strength in the face of pain or grief. So guess what? This verse implies that there's going to be grief, frightening things, and uh, what's the other one? Pain. (laughs) Maybe death. Because see, courage, it says let your heart take courage. Courage doesn't exist unless you're in the midst of these things that require courage. Courage doesn't exist when there's not the storm, right? When there's not the pain and the grief and the ugly and the brokenness and the hurt, that's when we have to choose to let our heart take courage, to get stronger in the waiting. Isaiah 40, 31, it says, Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain strength. There's a connection all through God's word with waiting and strength. I didn't write it. I'd have written it different. I'm just saying. But there is waiting and strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. 
they will walk and not become weary. I think about how we gain strength in the natural, right? If you want to work out a muscle, if I want to get stronger in my arms, I'm going to lift something heavy, right? And I'm going to do it several times. And I'm going to push myself past my comfort level, right, to get stronger. And am I going to do it once or am I going to do it twice? I'm going to do it over and over, thank you, over and over and over again, right? Right? I can't get stronger unless I push myself to the point of exhaustion, and then guess what I have to do? I have to come back and do it again, and I have to do it again, and I have to be determined, and I have to show up. That's what has to happen when we're waiting. That's what God has been showing me. You've got to do your part. You've got to get strong in the waiting. It takes purpose, passion, discipline. It's uncomfortable. You have to keep showing up. And this, ready? This is what you paid the big money for your seats here tonight. This is the high dollar truth. What God is showing me is this is what the whole flipping thing is about. This is when he transforms us. It's all about the waiting. God says, this is when I show up. And all those beautiful songs you sing, God change me. No, this is when I do it, Vanessa. This is when I reach down into those places of your life that no one can rewire except for me because I made you. And this is where I change you. This is where I transform you. God transforms us in our affections, in our hearts, in what we love. He transforms us in our adoration, what I worship. He wants to transform me in my attention, what I focus on, in my attraction, what I desire. He can, how many know he can change what we desire? He wants to change and transform my ambition, what I spend my time seeking, and he wants to transform my actions, my choices, and how I stand firm and how I live my life. I want to invite the worship team to come forward. The waiting is part of God's beautiful story that he's writing in each one of us. And I think most of us, if you're like me, maybe you're a lot more like Jesus. You probably are, but I want to fast forward the waiting, right? Let's just get to the end result. Let's get some closure. Let's move on. Let's see this thing done. And God's like, Vanessa, I do my best work in the waiting. So you better learn how to wait. You better learn how to get strong. You better choose to take courage. You better choose to believe me in the waiting. James 1, 2 through 4, it says, consider it pure joy. I wish this wasn't in my Bible. Does anyone read their Bible with like a highlighter and then also like a Sharpie to get rid of the verses you don't want? Mm-hmm. I really don't, but it says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. What? Right? Why? Because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Okay? Let perseverance finish. Don't tap out. Let perseverance finish its work. Why? Why, Vanessa? I'm saying, God, why? I want out. This is hard. This is uncomfortable. This stinks. I hate being here. And he says, let it finish its work so that you may be mature, that you may be complete. You want to talk about a promise of God. He says, so you may be lacking nothing. I'm going to give you everything you need if you finish, if you persevere, if you learn how to wait. And so I want to declare for my own life tonight, and I want to invite you to declare, I would have despaired, but I believed God. 
I really believed him. And I began to see his goodness right now, even if it's small. I became a goodness of God detective. I am becoming one. I'm going to plant myself in a place of looking for all the silver threads of what God's doing. Even when it looks like all hell is broke, breaking out. And I hate what I see. And if I start thinking right now about the situations and circumstances, I knew I'd cry. And I'm not a crier usually. Not in front of people. Don't ask Fred. I cry. <laughs> These are hard things. I know you have hard things. You have hard, hard things that you're facing. And God says, I want to show you how to look at them and see what you see in the natural. And then I want to show you a whole other dimension of what I'm doing. I want you to understand that I'm at work. I want you to believe me that I, if you do drop off, I'll do pick up, right? If you do pick up, I'll do drop off. I keep my word. I'll show up. I'm just as invested. I don't forget. I finish it. You do not need to despair. You do not need to despair. And then how you wait matters. I want to declare over my own life and over yours that I'm going to learn to wait well. I'm not going to wait as a victim, and I'm not going to wait as an arrogant daughter of the Lord. But I'm going to learn to wait in a place of strength, letting my heart take courage. Will you join me? Go ahead and stand. Father, we pray right now as we just take a moment to respond to this truth, Father, that we would both, we would, we would find the response that we need tonight. Lord, if we haven't believed you, that we would choose to believe you. We begin to unpack that in our life. What does that look like? What does that mean? How does that play out? What does it smell like? What does it taste like to really believe you? That we would experience the transformation of believing you. And Father, that, that if we have only been looking at the natural, that we would become looking for the goodness of God, that we would become detectives of your goodness, that we would position our heart, position our life to say, I will look for, I will find, I will focus on your goodness. Right now, right here today in the midst of this hell that I'm seeing, this ugliness and this brokenness, and then I will wait and I will learn to wait well. Father, teach us how to wait. Teach us how to work out and be strong. Teach us that we might finish, that we would have muscles and courage and strength and faith and an impact and influence. Not because we lived in a bubble and we never went through hard things, but because you have anchored us with your truth because we know who we belong to. We know how to stand in the midst of the wind, in the midst of the debris. We know how to hold firm. Father, we declare that we would have despaired, but we did not in the name of Jesus. You know, as we worship, I just want to let you know that there are people here for prayer. There's someone in the back corner. There's going to be people across the front. You might need to respond that way. You might need to respond in the privacy of where you're seated. You might want to come and just feel in the privacy of your own prayer life here at the altar. But I believe that this word warrants a response from each of us. And so I just pray that you'll have a moment with the Lord.